Do you love to love? Is your love language grand gestures like someone holding a boombox underneath your window or hiring a pilot to write your name in the sky? Yeah, this podcast is for you. I'm Carmen Bertlin and I'm a neurosemantics coach, yoga, meditation teacher, and I love to love. Ever since Lady and the Tramp shed a strand of spaghetti under the moonlight, I've been a romantic. This is my big leap from serial monogamous to feeling fulfilled as a single person. And so can you. Consider this a guide to stepping into your single best self so that when you meet someone, they're not a life raft, they're an added bonus. Welcome to the single best. I'm excited to be in your ear. Is anyone else struggling with this dark time of year? It's like I'm in some sort of hibernation or something. Thursday night, I was under the covers at 7.30. Yeah. And I was scrolling on my phone for about an hour before sleep, which I know isn't essential to do before you're going to sleep and you start stimulating your brain again. But I wasn't out of bed until 6.30 a.m. That's 11 hours in bed. I think sleep is so yummy, but 11 hours is a little bit too excessive, don't you think? I'm taking all the vitamins, I'm trying to eat healthy, I'm training, I'm staying off the booze, but this darkness is just grim. Maybe I should be on the booze. Here I'm trying to advocate being the single best version of ourselves and I'm having to positively self-talk myself out of bed. I just got to remember that this isn't permanent and one day I'm going to feel re-energized again. So this too shall pass, said Gandalf or some other geezer. Can't remember who it was. Sometimes we just have to listen to our bodies, I think. And right now mine just wants excessive sleep. So okay then. But hey, what's today's subject? It's the ick. That feeling of cringe that we get when someone does or says something that just hits wrong and it can be a sudden turn off. I think it's such an interesting phenomenon and covered a lot at the moment, actually, uh, all over TikTok. But I think it deserves some more airtime. So welcome to episode four. I think I actually remember the first time the ick happened to me. I would have been about nine and there was this new family that I moved moved to our small town south of Finland, population 1200. The year is 1990. 60% of the kids have mullets. And there was a new boy in my brother's year. He was hot. You know, hot for a 12-year-old. So he was cute. I saw him, declared him my future husband. Never spoke to him. Wouldn't dare to. He probably didn't know I existed, so. Then we had this school dance and I was partnered up with him and that was all the closeness that I needed to freak out completely, change my mind about him. I can still remember his smell. He smelled like butter. My hands smelled like butter after we danced. I washed him so many times just to get the smell out. And he was not my future husband after that. So that's the power of the ick. But you'd think that we get past this when we get into adulthood, hopefully being a little bit less judgmental and superficial. 
I mean, it's natural if we get the ache from someone who's eating their own boogers, but sometimes grown-ups get the ache from all sorts of superficial things like socks and sandals. I really believe that the ache is an excuse to exit something that we're not 100% about, because if you really like someone and you're willing to invest in them, if they make some sort of weird noise when they sleep or squat down to dry their balls after a shower, you just stick it out when you actually have an ex who did that. He'd squat down to dry his butthole after showering and it was a pretty close call for me. I could have left him, but I didn't. Instead, I stayed with him for five years, trying never to look at his dry-down routine. Something to remember, though, is that the ick isn't personal. It actually says more about the person experiencing it than about the person on the receiving end of it. Because I've said this before, and judgment really is a projection of self in the face of another person, so just keep that in mind. Like that famous saying goes, it's not you, it's me. I'm the problem. Thank you, Taylor Swift. So before you go to shame town for flossing in front of someone who then broke up with you, Here's the newsflash. That breakup was just being expedited as the inevitable outcome. Relationship coach uh, Matthew Hussey says the right relationship is not fragile. Amen to that. I mean, I know someone who shot her boyfriend's bed and they were still together for another couple of years after that. So that just goes to show what a solid foundation love can be because that's pretty up there. But I've actually heard worse stories than that. Why is it often involving defecation? I don't want this to become a shit show, so let's just leave it at that. So is the ick protecting us from getting too close to someone? Once feelings start forming, we suddenly take offense to how someone's front teeth look and check out before we get close enough for the other person to hurt us. Does this sound familiar? If it happens over and over again, take note. I definitely have a list of superficial icks, and one of them is long fingernails on a dude. I don't know if I could get past that, because I think hands are really attractive and sensual. I put this question out there on my socials earlier in the week, and I had a few responses. There's another person who also mentions long fingernails and added texting with both hands. That's harsh. What if he's ambidextrous? I think he could be grateful for that sort of skill in the bedroom, you know what I'm saying? Another person writes the smell of fried food of his clothes. Okay, fair. We wanted to rock up to the date, shower fresh, but what if you stopped by his mum's restaurant on the way to see you? He just popped into the kitchen to give her a hug and told her, Mom, I'm off on a date with a beautiful girl who's about to reject me because I'll smell of fried onions in a minute. Brutal. Another one says, When he farts when you kiss him, so apparently this girl had crushed on this guy for years, right? They were teenagers, and when they finally kiss, he's drunk and he farts accidentally. He's wearing a winter jacket, so he gets trapped in there and travels up inside the jacket and exits right between their faces. I was dying when she told me. She says it was like a flick of a switch. Years of adoration, gone. And then there's some deeper level aches that can be healthy cues to rethink in who we want to invest in. I once thought I was falling in love with this guy until he lost his temper with a senior citizen, this, this old lady on a bus, and he was so unattractive. He just lost his shine and fell off the pedestal I'd put him on. 
which is a good thing because we shouldn't put people up there in the first place. I can get pretty turned off when people talk ill about others as well. It's just so uncomfortable. Like, can we just talk about something more interesting than what she said or he didn't do? My late mom set a good example for this. She didn't speak ill of others. And it's definitely something I'm conscious of as well. So these deeper level icks, they stir up our core beliefs and violate our values. Some call them red flags. And they can help us navigate when something's out of alignment. Their job is to help us assess what's the right fit and what isn't. Where superficial icks are more an invitation to look inwards. Get curious. Ask yourself why you didn't like the way he would hug you and say, Oh, hello, in a theatrical voice. Yeah, that actually happened to me. I didn't just pull that out of thin air. I was in my early 20s and this guy, he was super fine. But fine wasn't enough because he gave me the right ache when he turned on this weird push boy voice out of the blue in the most random settings. I was pretty avoidant when he came to confrontation in my 20s, so when he fell asleep, I picked up my clothes from off the floor and ran out the door butt naked, holding my clothes in front of me, looking for the next taxi. I was just in such a rush to get the hell out. And no, he wasn't a proud moment. I kind of hope he hit his head and lost his memory of needing me. <laughs> So I have this theory, right? The theory is that if we don't have strong boundaries and it's hard for us to say no, getting the ick can be more prevalent. It's not just an exit strategy for when we don't want to have an uncomfortable conversation. It can also be a direct result of a boundary violation. So let me paint a picture as an example. And I'm going to draw on an experience from my past again as I think it's the best way to illustrate something based on real life events. So it would have been about 17 and I had a mate he was never anything more than a mate, and this is a classic, right? I was never attracted to him, so I could be my dorkiest self with him. And as a result of that, he developed feelings. So, you know, we could just be our real adorable selves with any guy that we fancy and that be drawn to us like moths to a flame. But no, instead we have to pretend to be the cool girl and jeopardize everything. I definitely digress here. This is not on topic, but you get the gist. So, back to my friend in his feelings, he decides to declare his love one evening after we caught up and as he's about to jump on the train back home. So we're at the station and he gets this sudden flare of anxiety. He doesn't want to go. He starts crying and he's telling me how much he loves me and we're sat on the cold concrete floor of the train station. He's sobbing into my hand and I don't know what to do with myself. And I like this guy, so I don't want to hurt his feelings. And I'm young as well, so my ability to stand up for myself is a little less than now, and I just sit there. And I let him get my hand all salty and snotty from his weeping face, and all of this while I'm feeling completely assaulted, for the lack of a better word. It's this combination of despair and rage building inside me, but I don't do anything, because my central nervous system is in total freeze mode. It's like being shut down. And this guy, he can't see that I'm irresponsive to his efforts, so we're just sat there for a good hour at least. 
and it felt like eternity. Every cell in my body wanted to flee the scene. And I think I've suppressed the memory of how I finally got away from him. But when I did, I looked down at the back of my hand that he'd been crying into and it was full of hives, red hives all over my hand going up along my arm. My skin was stinging as well. It was a stress response. My body literally felt like it was under attack. And I'm telling this story as an example of what can cause an ick as well. When you're cornered, when your walls go up, when someone oversteps a boundary, maybe an invisible boundary or not, it's still very much there because you've said it, mentally at least. But no one's a mind reader. And this is why it's so crucial to express what our boundaries are verbally, with words, speak up, say it, stutter, have your voice shake, cry if you have to. It can be fucking scary because essentially... We're trying to override a subconscious programming that we have that says it's not safe to express our needs and wants. It's not safe to set limits and to say no. One of my life's aha moments was when I was sat in a coaching session with someone who picked up some cues in my language and he pointed out what he'd heard. So he asked, when did you discover that it wasn't safe for you to speak up? And I was just blown away. He'd actually gathered that from me just talking. And I couldn't answer him because I didn't know when. But I knew that he'd found a little golden nugget. So it was time for me to dig deep and find that historic event that set a program in my mind that I'd been running ever since. So now what? I had to pick apart my programming. That story that was preventing me from essentially standing up for myself. Our subconscious will always overrule our conscious mind. So once we become aware of a story we've created in our minds, we need to question that story. Is it really, really true? What can I replace this story with that would be more beneficial to me? So I started asking myself, what is the cost of not speaking up? This is the cost. Me feeling violated. Me pushing people away. Me getting the ick. Me hating myself for not daring to speak up. It's quite the cost. So what can we tell ourselves instead? Perhaps that it is safe to speak up. It's safe to express needs and to take up space and be loud and have demands. It's safe to say no and put your foot down. But also that boundaries don't need to be set in anger and that it's definitely something that comes with practice. The more comfortable we become with speaking our truth and sharing what matters to us and how we want to be treated the more we can say these things in a calm, kind way, not from a state of fear or a feeling of injustice. So a good little mantra for this could be something like, I say what I want with kindness. It's like a muscle. The more we exercise it, the stronger it gets. You got this. Thanks again for tuning in to episode four. We've officially smashed that stat that says that most podcasts only have three episodes. Yay! And we have over 100 downloads in our first month of being on Apple and Spotify. Maybe it doesn't sound like a lot for someone who has 1,000 downloads per episode, but I choose to celebrate the little wins because I know that's what will keep me going. 
So I spent this weekend with some amazing women. It was a Hindu for my friend and we had hired out an entire hostel down in Sussex for 25 people. We did yoga, meditation, sound bath, cacao ceremony, karaoke, and we surprised the bride to be with a stripper who came in to do the magic mic routine to Jinwen's pony at the end, and it was a roaring success. And these were women from all walks of life, a very eclectic mix, but a common thread was strong women, confident, independent, entrepreneurial, many of them single as well. It really takes an equally strong man to hold space for a woman in her power, and not everyone's ready for it. It's quite a rare find, really. But I'm glad to see that these women, they don't settle, they don't just partner up again for the sake of partnering up. They'd rather be single and do their thing than waste time with someone who isn't up for the challenge. Because it is a challenge to be with someone who knows what they want and how to go and get it. But if the reward matches the challenge, I'm sure it'd be well worth it. And I'm quite in awe of these women. Listening to their stories, I realized how much of a work in progress I still am. Yeah, I do have a podcast about being the single best, but some days I really feel like the single worst. And that's the honest truth. It's not, it's not going to be easy, and that's completely okay. I've had this... I guess you could call it a situationship for the last six months. And even though I know that it's run its course, probably a few times over, I still hang on to it for dear life. Any little breadcrumbs I get from it, because if I let go of it completely, there's no one for me to love apart from myself. And that's really unfamiliar to me. So sometimes we might cling on to something that's of disservice because it's comforting and it's what we know and cutting the cord can take a long time sometimes until we meet someone new because the thought of being completely 100% single is frankly quite terrifying but guess what it's okay it really is and the more compassion that we can give ourselves while we heal from heartbreak and reprogram old patterns the better the outcome. So, until next time, guys, lots of self-love. Mm-hmm.